Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. Good morning, my name is Tim Stoker, and I worship here with my wife Jan and our youngest daughter Hannah. I have the privilege of reading scripture this morning. We are reading once again from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. One thousand five hundred and three, give or take a few, depending on what account you read. One thousand five hundred and three. That's how many men, women, and children perished in the frigid waters of the North Atlantic a hundred years ago last week. You remember the story of the Titanic? We remembered it last week. It was a hundred years ago, April the 15th, 1912. 1,503 men, women, and children who died when the Titanic sank. There were only about 703 survivors. Um, That's less than one-third of the total number of passengers and crew who were aboard the Titanic. Were there lifeboats on board the Titanic? Yes, there were lifeboats. In fact, there were about 20 lifeboats, but as you probably well know, nobody on board was equipped to know how to use them. Some of the lifeboats got lowered to the water too quickly before people had a chance to hop on them. Some of the lifeboats even turned over in the water 
Some folks scrambled on top of them, but they were pretty much useless beyond that. But what was most sad was that crew members who were in charge of the lifeboats simply refused to pick up survivors in the water. Lifeboat number one, for example, could hold 65 people, but it only took 29 to the Carpathia, the rescue ship. Lifeboat number six also could hold 65, but only had 40 on board. Lifeboat number seven just had 28 people in it. One of the collapsible lifeboats could have taken 40 people, but only took 12. Survivors would later talk about the desperate cries of people who were drowning in the water as the Titanic went down. One of the survivors ended up living in Detroit. He settled in a home near Tiger Stadium. And he says that he hates it whenever a player hit a home run. Because whenever a player hit a home run in Tiger Stadium, this guy could hear the cries of the crowd yelling for the, for the player but it reminded him too much of the, quote, horrifying chorus of souls crying out for help in the North Atlantic. Another man described it as the most fearful and blood-curdling wail. There was one guy who was trying to stay alive in the water who was heard to yell out the words, Save one soul! But for whatever reason, only six people, according to the account that I read, only six people in the water were rescued by the lifeboats. One of the quartermasters who was commandeering one of the lifeboats was heard to say this. No, we are not going back to the boat. It's our lives now, not theirs. It's our lives now. Not theirs. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? Sitting here today, you might say, Mike, there's no way that I would have responded to that disaster that way. Surely I would have gone back. I would have done something if I were on a sinking ship. I would give up my spot on the lifeboat, perhaps. Or I would insist that we in the lifeboat turn back and go pick up survivors. It's our lives now, not theirs, is what so many people there had to say. You know, the, the story of the Titanic is really a metaphor, isn't it? In so many ways, we see lessons to be learned from the sinking of the Titanic. The fleeting nature of wealth and power, the limits of human ingenuity, the arrogance of the self-made man, and probably other lessons that you can figure out. But certainly one of the things we learn from this story, as sad as it is about the Titanic, is that when under pressure... When under pressure, given the option, most of us would rather save our own skin than serve other people. Are you sure you wouldn't have done the same thing? When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? It's kind of the same thing, isn't it? We see people desperately in need of salvation, of forgiveness, of knowing God, of having a relationship with God, of having things right in their lives. We see those people. We see them every day. We rub shoulders with them all the time. And yet how often do we say, it's my life now, not yours. I was having car trouble the other day. My battery died, actually. 
And um, I took it to one of these auto parts stores, right, where they come out and put a battery in your car for you. And uh, the guy was really nice, and he and I were standing there in the open hood of my car, and I noticed written on his shirt was his name, Adam. And I, I thought about it. I thought, Adam, that's a, that's a biblical name. I, I could ask him a question. I could say something like, uh, Adam, where'd you get your name? You know, maybe that would spark a, a spiritual conversation about Adam in the Bible. But you know what I did? Nothing. Nothing. Kind of reminded me of the Californian. Do you, have you read about in the sinking of the Titanic, there was actually another ship called the Californian 10 miles away. Saw the lights, saw the flares, stayed put. There's a book written about that ship. It's called The Boat That Stood Still. So many times in my life, maybe you in your life as well, you could open your mouth, you could speak, you could care, but you were the Christian who stood still. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, may we resolved by God's grace today that we will not be people who stand still. No matter what the need around us, whether it be a deed of love or service or a word of the gospel, may we resolve today not to be the people who stand still and do nothing. We're in a series on the book of Philippians. I've called this series to know Christ and to make him known. That's That's my burden for us at UPC, that we be people that not only know Christ, not be content only to know Christ, but that we be people who make him known in any way that we possibly can. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you know that I had a three-part mini-series that I called What is the Gospel? A sort of mini-series within this series. And I I gave you the the first two in the three-part messages, and then I got the flu. And Seth uh, pinch-hitted for me. He came in and preached. And and then I told you the next week that I'll come back to part three. Well, that's what we're going to do today. This little series called, What is the Gospel? And what we've seen so far, to remind you, is that Jesus gave us a job to do. This job is called the Great Commission. It's to make disciples of all nations, right? And part of this job of making disciples involves communicating the gospel with our words, like I was talking to the children about. But but many of us, me included, as I said, look at people around us desperately in need, and, and we are not being faithful to that great commission. And so that's why I want to bring us back to this. And what I said back in March was, let's start again. Forget the past, let's move forward, and let's start again as a church. Let's realize that God has put us here in this strategic location, to love our city and serve our city and care for our city any way we can. And one of the key ways that we can do that is by communicating the gospel with our words. All right, let's get down to some content now. What is the gospel? Bottom line, the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ, that he has come to rescue us when we were drowning in sin and misery. And everybody here this morning needs to know the gospel. If you're a Christian, you need to know the gospel. Why? So that you can live out of it every day and so that you can share it with other people. If you're not a Christian this morning, you need to know the gospel too. Why? So that you can think about it. So that you can consider it. So that you can go back home and really 
Open the Bible and read it for yourself and ask questions and, and interrogate us here at UPC. And look into it and investigate the gospel for yourself so you can make an informed decision about where it's going to fit into your life. And I hope it will fit into your life. So let's do this. Since it's been a few weeks since we did this, the first two parts of this little series, let's go back and review what I gave you back at the end of March. And then I will proceed to give you the new piece today. Let me say it this way. The gospel has three parts. Think of the gospel as a uh, three-legged stool or a triangle with three points, or I love the analogy of think of it as a symphony in three movements. Let's review the first two. And I want you to write this down. I want you to commit it to memory. If you know a better way to say it, great. But this is a simple way you can take from here uh, a little bit of a presentation of the gospel so that you can think about it and so that you can share it with other people. First part, our condition. Our condition. Our condition is that we are broken and sinful. We talked about this back at the end of March. We're broken and sinful. We've committed sins of omission, which is leaving things undone that we should have done. And we've committed sins of commission, which is doing things we ought, that we ought not have, should have done. And not only are we sinful and broken, but we are also idol worshipers. That is that we put our value and hope and we treasure things that are not God. And anything you treasure that's not God is an idol. In short, we talked about this. We said you're far more sinful than you realize. Me too. We're all far more sinful than we realize. We can't save ourselves because of that. We are helpless to save ourselves. And not only that, what's even worse is that we, are, we deserve God's judgment. So that's our condition. We're sinful, we, we, idol, we idolize things that are not God, we, um, we can't save ourselves, and we're under the judgment and condemnation of God. Now that is a big, huge problem, and God has a solution to that problem. That's part two of the gospel. We saw our condition, our, God's solution is Jesus. God provides Jesus as the solution to our problem. Who is Jesus? He's the eternal Son of God who became man. He's the eternal Son of God who became man. What did Jesus do? Basically, he, we put it this way. He came to our rescue. When we were hopeless, when we were helpless, God came to our rescue in Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live. He died the death that we deserve to die. In other words, Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on the cross at about the age of 33. He rose again and ascended into heaven so that if you have a relationship with him, you can say this, that not only are you more sinful than you realize, but in Christ you're far more loved than you can imagine. That's parts one and part two of the gospel. Now, now that we've reviewed the past, we're going to move on to the third and the final part of the, God, of the gospel. That final part raises the question. Now that you know your problem and God's solution, how can you be sure that you have received the love and forgiveness of God that he provides through Jesus? How can you be one who is in relationship with Christ and know that you are going to heaven when you die? What must you do? Two things. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. You will hear all kinds of other sayings like accept Christ, 
or receive Jesus into your heart or make Jesus Savior and Lord. I mean, there are all kinds of these other versions of that. But repent and believe the good news is what Jesus said for us to do. He said in Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so this is not original to me. These are the words of Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. So let's take those two things and examine them one by one and make sure that everybody in the room understands what it means to repent and to believe the good news. Okay? First is repent. The first thing you must do in order to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is to repent. It's a word that means to turn to God. It means to change direction. To do an about face and look to Jesus for help instead of looking inside yourself for help or trying on your own self-effort to get a life that pleases God. To repent means that you realize, now listen, you realize that you have been living on your own apart from God going in the wrong direction. You've got to be able to realize that and to say to yourself, you know what, I am barking up the wrong tree here. I've got to change my course. You've broken God's commands, in other words. You need Jesus to rescue you. It means all of that. It means to admit the truth about yourself, that you are not good, that you are not going in the right direction, and that you are helpless without God's intervention. It's like you're one of those people drowning in the ocean by the sinking of the Titanic. You know, you turn away from the Titanic because you realize, oh, that's not going to help me. That is a sinking ship. I need more than that. I need a lifeboat with Jesus' name on it. You got it? That's what it is to repent. And you see repentance in today's passage of Scripture that Tim read. So let's turn our attention to this text, Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Paul says up there in verse 2, he says, Watch out for those dogs, Philippian people. Watch out for those dogs. They are men who do evil. They are mutilators of the flesh. For we, he says, are the circumcision. Now, I've probably lost some of you there. What in the world is Paul talking about? He's talking about the fact that in the Philippian church to whom he's writing, some false teachers had gotten in and were beginning to teach the wrong gospel. They are called Judaizers. Judaizers, because they were teaching these Philippian Christians that it was fine and well to believe in Jesus. But in order to become a Christian, you need to do more than simply receive Christ into your life. You need to obey the Jewish ceremonial laws. Specifically, if you're a Jewish man, you need to get circumcised. See, that was sort of the hallmark of being a Jew back in that day. Or else you can't be rescued by Jesus. You have to obey the rules. You have to check the boxes. You have to jump through the hoops. You have to climb the ladder. Oh, that's why I had Bruce bring the ladder up here, see. Let's pretend that that uh, ladder is a lot taller than that. And at the very top of that ladder is God's love. See, that's the box represented up there. That's God's gift of his forgiving grace. The Judaizers were saying, yes, believe in Jesus, but there are all kinds of other things you must do. And what we would say is, You know, we wouldn't maybe put it in the way that Paul does here, but we would say you need to go to church. You need to make sure it's the right church. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to be nice. You need to help. You need to serve. You've got to do these things. And then after you do them and make sure you've done them well enough, God will smile upon you and he will call you his child. 
And one day you will make it to heaven. That's what all of that means. Now listen, there is nothing wrong with being good. It's all fine to be good and to be a law-abiding citizen and to obey God's laws. That is good. But for Paul and many other people, those things, those steps up the ladder became a source of what? Pride. A source of pride. It was sort of like what I've heard about those guys who built the Titanic. Who said, look at us. We have built a ship that is unsinkable. It was, it, it was even said that even God could not sink the Titanic. Yeah. So that, that pride, that self-effort, all of that is represented by this ladder up here. And that's the concern of, the, of Paul toward these Judaizers. He, they were doing the same thing. They were building up the flesh. They were taking pride in human effort. And that's why Paul says in verses 4 through 6, He begins to list all the things that he used to trust in, that he used to take pride in. He says in verse 4, Hey, listen, if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And, And by the way, that word flesh... He's not talking about the body there. He's talking about a word that that really is symbolic of self-effort. Flesh is my effort to gain life or love or fulfillment or significance or any of those things on my own, apart from God. That's the flesh. And then Paul begins in verse 5 to list all the things that he had on his record in his resume. He says, for example, in verse 5, hey, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I made it. I did that. I was uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the, the tribe that stuck, you know, stayed loyal to King David, the tribe from which the first king of Israel, Saul, came. Say, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Both my mom and my dad were Jewish. I spoke Hebrew growing up, not Greek. See, all of those things, and he continues to list a number of other things in verses 5, 6, and 7. In other words, Paul is taking pride in his record. Now, if you were writing this letter to the Philippians, you would not use those terms, but you would say something like, I was a front row Baptist. You know, I was a Presbyterian of Presbyterians. I was baptized as a baby and dunked as a believer. I'm not going to go up any further. Um, I am truly, thoroughly, potently reformed. You could make a long list of things that you have done and said and accomplished in your life. I gave to charities. I donated blood at work. I've helped all, all these people. I could list people a mile long of the people that I've served. I do community service. I belong to the Rotary Club. And you just don't know all the things that that I've done, and surely those have made me presentable to God. That's the way we would look back on our record the way Paul is looking back on his. But Paul discovered something, didn't he? Paul discovered something by the grace of God, and that is that all those wonderful things that he did got him no further to God at all. In fact, they only took him away from God further and further because they were things that he trusted in in here instead of trusting in the grace of God up there. 
He says in verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, see, this is his discovery. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Do you know what that word rubbish really means? It's not a word we say in church. Rubbish is what you step in when the guy didn't pick up after his dog. Paul came to the place where he saw that everything that he had invested himself in, everything he was trusting in, was all about him. All about building a record that he could show to God who is holy and lifted up and exalted before whom none of us can present perfection. And that's God's expectation. For whom, before whose eyes, whose gaze, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Paul came to that discovery where he knew he needed to change direction. And so he took all of those things that he used to bank on, all those things he used to take pride and joy in, and he took them to the landfill. He stopped putting confidence in himself and shifted his confidence toward Jesus Christ and what he did by living the perfect life, dying on the cross and rising again. Have you come to that place? Now look, I wouldn't be a preacher if I didn't ask you that question. Have you come to that place in your life where you've admitted the truth about yourself, that you're really not all that hot stuff, that all your righteous acts are as filthy rags, that you've broken God's law, And that you are desperately in need of God's mercy. Have you? Maybe you're trusting in the fact that you're really a nice person. Maybe you've done a lot of good stuff. Maybe you say yes to everybody. You know, you're Mr. Helpful, Mrs. Helpful. Or maybe you're good looking or or an excellent musician. Or maybe you have amazing kids or you've been really successful in in life. You're a good businesswoman or something of that nature. Maybe people look up to you and you enjoy that and, and you realize how good you are at making people follow you. I mean, you've, you've, you've got talent. Those are the things that get you up in the morning. Well, you know what? Repentance means considering all that stuff rubbish. I wish I could say the word because that's really what it all is. Considering it trash, considering it refuse. You stop living for yourself and you make a conscious decision. This is repentance. You you make a conscious decision, a decisive turn to stop living for yourself and start living for the glory and approval of God. That's repentance. And if it's never happened in your life, thank God that you're here. But now you never can say you didn't know. If you've never done that, do it today. Turn around. Go to Jesus. He's the lifeboat who can pick you up. All right, so that's the first thing one must do in order to have this knowledge of God, to have this relationship with Jesus Christ that leads to repentance and eternal life. The second thing is you must believe the gospel. And another word for that is faith. You must be a person who puts your faith in tr- or trust in Jesus Christ alone. Believe 
the good news. Now look, one thing to make sure you understand, these are not like one step and then number two. These are actually two things that fit together. They're two sides of the same coin. You really can't repent without believing in Jesus. You can't really believe in Jesus without repenting. They really are sort of almost simultaneous. But I'm separating them because it's helpful to understand each one separately. Just like you see Paul's repentance in this passage, you also see Paul's faith. Look at verses 8 and 9. I already read part of verse 8. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Now look, here's the new part. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. What is faith? Faith is really like the guy drowning in the ocean. Let's go back to him again. You remember, repentance means, well, the Titanic's not going to help me, so I'm going to turn away from this sinking ship. And I'm, I see Jesus. He's the lifeboat that is capable of saving me. So here comes the lifeboat. I can't move. I'm stuck. I'm about to drown. But as the lifeboat pulls up against me, I lift my hands in helplessness and emptiness to Jesus. And allow his strong arms to pick me up and lift me up and put me in his boat. That's faith. It is the, the resting, like we said earlier from the shorter catechism. It's the resting and receiving Jesus Christ in his strength. That's what faith is. Or it's like this. Going back to the ladder. I give up the fact or the thought that I can climb this ladder well enough to reach the goal. I can't do it. I'm too much of a sinner. And so I see God's love. I see his forgiveness. And I say, God, I can't do it. I'm helpless. Please, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. And it's like I see Bruce down there. Bruce, you look strong. You look intelligent. You look like you're capable of reaching that. Will you please, will you reach the gift and hand it to me? This is like me saying to God, Lord, you are the only one. You're my only hope. I can't reach you, but you can reach me. In fact, you did reach me. You sent Jesus down here to me. Will you give me the gift of your love? And I receive it just like so. Good job. (laughs) Now, I know that's kind of silly, but folks... Can there be any better news than that? That I, who am helpless and broken and sinful, can merely say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I receive your gift of love. I believe you died for me and rose again. Can there be any better news than that? Can it be any simpler than that? But that is indeed the gospel. I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning. I don't know if you've already done all this. Most of you have. But if you haven't, here's what I'm saying. You can be accepted by God, not by checking all the boxes yourself, but letting Jesus check them for you. You can be declared righteous by God, not by obeying the law yourself, because you can't, but by believing that Jesus obeyed the law for you. You can be forgiven and loved by God, 
Not by doing good things for God, but by trusting that Jesus did the one good thing for you that you need. That will bring you into relationship with God. If you've never done that, do it today. Do it today. Repent and believe the gospel. You know, there were some heroes back then when the Titanic went down. And let me close with this. I read about one such story of heroism. There was a fellow who was drowning in the ocean named Oscar Palmquist. He was a Swedish carpenter. He jumped off of the Titanic into the water with two life jackets tied onto him. He swam to one of the lifeboats. but And this is the unbelievable part. He reached the lifeboat, put his hands up on the gunwale, the side of the boat, and the quartermaster in charge of the boat took an oar and started hitting his hands so that he would let go. It's our lives now, not theirs, was the mentality. And so, yes, he let go of the boat. He was in too much pain. And then there was a woman inside that lifeboat, we don't even know her name, who took off her shawl and trailed it in the boat behind them so that Oscar could hold on. He grabbed onto it, and for hours, the lifeboat dragged Oscar over to the Carpathia, the rescue ship. Oscar survived. He was numb. He was almost paralyzed because of the cold. But this unknown, unnamed woman ended up dying of hypothermia. But what she did do was she created a lifeline to the lifeboat. And friends, if you're a believer, that's what your job and my job is, to create lifelines to the lifeboat named Jesus Christ. Will you commit yourself again today that you and we corporately will be the kind of people who establish all kinds of lifelines in this community so that people will come to know Jesus? And if you're not a believer, I urge you today, grab onto the lifeline. There are many of them around you. And believe and repent. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you so much that you, in your mercy and grace, have come to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you laid aside your life and died in our place, that we might have real life. And we ask, O Lord, that you will take UPC. I ask that you will take me and that I'll never again be a Christian who stood still. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we corporately will be the kind of people who throw out the shawls of the gospel to folks who need it. And Lord, we do pray, thank you, that if there's someone here today who doesn't know Jesus, they can simply say to you, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I can't do it, Lord. I've tried and I've failed. I want to come home. I want to come to the Father who will never cast me away. I want to know the Savior who will love me and who will never give up on me no matter what I do, no matter how bad I fail. Lord, come into my life, make me new, and become my Lord. I repent today, and I believe the good news. Lord, thank you that you're the kind of God who loves to hear people pray that prayer. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407 
384-3300.